Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. He had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it is that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those that had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart their region. As he's getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marvelled. Years ago, the local church that I grew up in ran the Christianity Explained course, which was a pretty new thing at the time. So those of you who knew know when that came out, you get, that's going to date me pretty well. And this course takes, takes us through the Gospel of Mark as it explained what Christianity is. And at about the point that we're at today in the Gospel of Mark, one of the participants, a man from a science-based profession, asked the question, what are all these demons about? Seems like there must have been an epidemic of them back then. And our minister at the time explained it. He said that there's good spiritual beings called angels and evil angels who rebelled against God are what are called demons. Um, And angels and demons do still exist today, but back in Jesus' day, the physical presence of Jesus disturbed them and they manifested and so they were quite noticeable. But it seemed to me at the time that that this bloke with his science-based background, well, he really didn't accept that answer. And a lot of people today won't accept an answer like that. 
Many people have a great deal of trouble with the whole concept of there even being demons. You know, they like to think of demons as just being creatures in fairy tale storybooks or in horror movies. And many people, and even some preachers, want to explain demon possession away as simply being the ancients trying to describe something they couldn't understand, psychiatric, psychiatric illnesses, because they just didn't know any better. And so today, many people have the view that the demoniac in today's reading simply had some kind of psychotic condition. Um, and yet, to me, when I read what, the way that Mark explains this man's encounter with Jesus and the way that it all went down, to me it seems really obvious that this man's state was much more than just some kind of mental illness. And let me be really blunt here. Any attempt to, to try and describe this man's condition as mental illness well, it doesn't come from the biblical text. And so therefore we have to ask, well, where does it come from? Well, I think it comes from a modern person's unwillingness to believe in the existence of personal spiritual beings and that these demons can control a human. Now, if, if we don't believe in angels and demons, we're going to have a great deal of trouble getting Jesus's perspective of the cosmos because guess what Jesus did believe in angels and demons and it would also mean that that we're always going to have trouble understanding what the gospel is really about because a large part of the gospel is about Jesus's defeat of Satan and of his demons and so we'll never grasp the true power of God and God's supremacy in the spiritual battle. And I want us to be really clear about this as we're talking about stuff today and as we talk about anything to do with, with spiritual things, we have to remember that God is supreme. And this isn't something we should approach with fear and trembling because in the name of Jesus Christ, we have the victory um, and God protects us and God defeats evil. Now, Today's reading is not the story of Jesus curing a mentally ill man. It's a record of two spiritual powers in confrontation. A vast legion of demons up against the one Lord Jesus Christ. Right, so, so let's pick up from where we left off last week. Last week we heard the story about Jesus crossing over the lake. So Jesus and his disciples were heading across the lake into Gentile territory. A storm blew up on the lake and when Jesus roused on the wind and the waves, they stopped. And by doing that, he demonstrated the power that he has over the physical world. And now, as soon as Jesus sets foot on the Gentile shore, there's a test of his power over the spiritual world. Immediately, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. And there's no doubt that this is a clear case of demon possession. It had all of the signs. This man, he had a fascination or an attraction to the macabre, right? He lived among the tombs. He possessed superhuman strength. The locals, they tried to restrain him many times with chains and fetters, but they didn't have a hope of holding him. He just snapped them. 
He was into self-harm and self-mutilation. He used to cut himself with stones. He was abusive and disruptive. Night and day, he would always be crying out among the tombs and among the mountain slopes, just yelling out. And he had supernatural knowledge. He instantly recognised that Jesus was the Son of God. And he was tormented by the presence of Jesus. He was tormented simply by the presence of the Holy One who had the power to destroy him. And we do see this time and time again. As Jesus encounters demons, they are tormented simply by the presence of Jesus. This man was not displaying some kind of psychotic condition. This was a manifestation of demons taking over the man. It was a manifestation of these demons who caused this man to self-harm and who, and who caused him to abuse. And yes, it was the demons who spoke through his vocal cords. And no one could control him. No one could subdue him. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Now, perhaps surprisingly, at least it, to me it was surprising, um, is to a point the demons held their ground. Yes, they fell down before Jesus. Demons cannot stand in the presence of God. But they tried their best to keep a hold of this man. And crying out in a loud voice, he said to Jesus, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Now that's like him begging Jesus, Swear to me by God, or in the name of God, don't torment me. Isn't that fascinating? This manifestation of demonic evil representing all that is ungodly representing everything that is against God and there he is he's trying to manipulate God's chosen one by invoking the name of God he's trying to tell Jesus in the name of God don't do that do this so in the name of God don't do that do this you know we, we see this sort of thing happening in our world today People who have no genuine interest at all in obeying God, invoking some kind of twisted notion of godliness to negate God's word. So, for example, um, anybody who reads the newspapers or listens to the news would be very aware that right now the current political debate in Australia seems to be centering around religious freedoms and the rights of Christians and Christian schools and hospitals or whatever to only hire people who uphold the faith values and the ethos of, the ethos of, of these organisations. Should Christians have the right to do that or not? Now, this is currently being debated in our parliaments. But some who oppose Christ and who oppose the Christian church and so they oppose Christian freedom, would say, but God is all about love. And in the name of God, you Christians should love. And if you Christians were loving, you wouldn't be discriminating against people of other beliefs. 
And so basically what they're saying is in the name of God, you Christians must not discriminate. When these people actually have no, no interest at all in obedience to God, they're trying to destroy the whole purpose of Christianity and the whole purpose of, of the Christian ministries that they're up against. And what a twisted tactic that is for those who have no relationship with God to invoke the name of God for their own wicked purposes. Did you know, in the Old Testament, wherever God is referred to as the most high God, it's always on the lips of people who know who God is, but they're not his people. Right? They're not God's people. They don't have a relationship with him, but they do know who he is. And that's the case here. This demon knows exactly who Jesus is. He identifies him as the son of the most high God. Now this demon, he knew that he was in for a hammering, and so he was then invoking the name of God to try and get Jesus to go easy on him. This demon was cunning and he didn't give up easily. Jesus already told him to get out of the man, but he resisted. Right? There was a very real battle going on here. Now, sometimes we give in way too quickly. God calls us to a mission or God gives us an assignment of some kind and we might give it a little bit of a go but if we're not immediately successful we just give up yeah oh well that didn't work obviously that wasn't God's will for my life I'll find something else and usually something else means something easier um, and sometimes I think we have a distorted view of just how easy or how hard it's supposed to be when we're serving God now, we usually get the image, at least I know I do, usually get the image of Jesus just speaking the word once and it's done. And, and with a lot of the demons that Jesus drove out, that was exactly the case. But this was a much more difficult case. This wasn't just one demon. This is a whole army of demons, thousands of demons resident in the one man. And Jesus asked him, what's your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, a Roman legion had about 6,000 troops. Were there 6,000 demons in this one man? I don't know. Maybe. There are at least 2,000, because when Jesus did drive them out, they went into 2,000 pigs, and every one of them ran down into the water and drowned. Verse 10, and he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. For some reason, they didn't want to leave the geographical location that they're in. And it seems that sometimes demons are tied to a particular locality. And we see that in a, in a few instances in the scriptures. Uh, so, for example, when the prophet Daniel prayed to God, Immediately an angel was dispatched to answer his prayer, but he got caught up fighting what's called the Prince of Persia. And for 21 days, 
he was fighting this prince of Persia before a, a more powerful angel came to his aid. Um, now that demon, it seems as if he was tied to the locality of Persia. Now we know that the eventual fate of all demons, and this should give us a bit of confidence here, the eventual fate of all demons is to be cast into the lake of fire that God has prepared for Satan and his demons. But for now, when demons are cast out from those they possess, it seems that they wander until they find a new place to take up residence. And so Jesus didn't send him to the pit, not yet, but their time will come. He sent those thousands of demons to the pigs and about 2,000 pigs ran down a steep slope into the sea and drowned. Now, wouldn't that have been something to see, eh? You sort of wonder how to control your feral pigs out here. Um, that'd be a way. But what an amazing demonstration of the power of God over evil. Nobody else could even restrain this man because of the power of the thousands of demons. They couldn't even restrain him. Most people would have seen this man and gone, well, there's no hope for you. But Jesus set him free. Now, of course, when the word got out of what had happened, people came for a look and what they find? They came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, and he was completely transformed. He was sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. How, how does one respond to a miracle of God? You know, I've heard so many unbelievers say, if God wants me to believe in him, all he's got to do is do, insert your preferred miracle here, and I'll believe. Right? I bet you've heard people say that too. If, if God wants me to believe in him, all he's got to do is heal this person of this disease, then I'll believe. If God wants me to believe in him, all he's got to do is fix this problem, and I'll believe. Will they? Really? I don't think so. A lot of people think all they need is a spectacular demonstration of the power of God and they'll believe. Our Christmas season's in full swing right now. Christmas carols, end of year events, Christmas parties, catalogues advertising Christmas presents, decorations coming out, um, has anyone been to Deer and Bandy lately and seen the decorations down the from Noondoo to Deer and Bandy? And somebody told me that it actually goes on to Thallon as well. There's people snigged down old versatile tractors and everything and completely decorated these things. It's worth a drive if you want to have a look. Um, houses are getting lit up. I looked at the calendar. I think it's only nine days until Christmas today. I couldn't tell you how many shopping days because I don't shop. At Christmas time, the true celebration is that Jesus came to save us. 
But I think a very pertinent question for us is, and for our community is, is how do we respond to his coming? Jesus came to us. Jesus came for us. But how do we respond to Jesus? Jesus liberated that man who was so thoroughly captivated by evil. And when the townsfolk saw it, what was their response? What was their response to this demonstration of supreme spiritual power? Can you leave, please? Jesus, can you leave? You thought I was talking to you. No, no, you're welcome to stay, particularly as soon as you play the piano. <laughs> yes. Um, Jesus came for us. But we, like the townsfolk, at least our community, say, Jesus, you're not really welcome here. I find it absurd. I find it utterly ridiculous that Jesus isn't even a welcome in Christmas anymore. It's astonishing to me how quickly the Christmas greeting has changed from Merry Christmas to Happy Holiday. I, I can't get over that. And by the way, do you know where the word holiday comes from? Holy day. So when somebody says holiday, they're actually saying holy day. So I want you to feel quite free that if, if somebody wishes you happy holiday, then I want you to feel quite free to respond positively and say, wow, thanks for that. I'm so glad that you see Christmas as a holy day. And I want to wish you in return a happy holy day of, of the Christ Mass. <laughs> because it is a holy day. We are celebrating the birth of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. People are right. It is a holy day. And so many people are like the townsfolk. Jesus, you're not welcome here. You're not even welcome in Christmas. Or are we like the man who's been set free? All that man wanted was to be able to get in that boat with Jesus and go away with him. Now, that's not such a bad thing, is it? Wanting to be with Jesus? Is that a bad thing? None of us could say that's a bad thing. But Jesus said, no, you can't come with me. Why? Because he said, you've got a mission right here. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Now, the amazing thing about becoming a Christian is we're not just saved for ourselves. We're not just saved so that we can have a nice little private time with Jesus. We're not just saved so that we can just get into our nice little church huddle and that's where we stay. We're saved to be disciples of Jesus with a mission. And I want you to know this doesn't take decades of training to become a disciple of Jesus with a mission. This is something that begins immediately. 
As soon as we're saved, we become disciples of Jesus with a mission. That man was told to stay local. Tell the locals, tell your friends how much the Lord's done for you. Tell everyone how he's shown you so much mercy. And isn't that our mission? You don't have to be some great public speaker to be a witness for Jesus. You don't have to be a fabulous preacher or have a beautiful singing voice to be a witness for Jesus. We can just tell our friends what he's done for us. That's all it takes. And once we've told our friends, that sort of gives us a, a little bit more encouragement to be able to tell others. This man, he went into the group of 10 cities. That's what that Decapolis was. It was a group of 10 cities in that, lo in that area. And he told everyone how much Jesus had done for him. I think sometimes we undervalue the witness that we have to share. I reckon I'd be bold enough to say that I reckon that your friends would be more moved by you personally sharing with them what Jesus has done for you than what they would be moved by most evangelists if they came to town. I honestly believe this that your friends would be more moved by you personally sharing with them what Jesus has done for you than what they would be moved by a great public speaker. And that's all Jesus asks of us, to be grateful and for us to tell our friends about how much that Jesus has done for us. And Jesus may not have driven thousands of demons out of any of us. But don't we still have so much to be thankful for? We've all been shown so much mercy by Jesus. We've got plenty to tell. Well, let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we want to thank you for what you have done for us. Lord, you have shown us so much mercy. But Lord, we want to confess to you that sometimes we start taking that mercy for granted. Sometimes we, we forget that just how much you've done for us. It's not that we forget that you did it, it's just that we forget to remember it and we forget to celebrate it. Lord, we want to thank you that you died for our sins on the cross and that there on the cross you defeated sin and death, that you defeated Satan and his demons. Lord, we, will, we look forward to when the final battle happens, but we know that their defeat, we can talk as if it's already happened because it is so sure. And Lord, I pray that you would give us in this church a great desire to tell our friends about Jesus. That we would tell all of our friends and then you would move us 
to the locality that we're in. They would even tell people we don't know about what Jesus has done for us. And Lord, I pray that once again in this town and in this district that people would marvel at what Jesus has done. And Lord, I pray that more and more people would be saved. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.